Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Tuesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Game one, Lakers versus Warriors is tonight. We're going to break it all down with the hosts of Locked on Warriors. It's an extended crossover episode next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome to a special crossover second round of the playoffs edition of Locked On Lakers and Locked On Warriors. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Cyrus Satsas, and uh, Kylan Mills. The Lakers completely remade themselves at the trade deadline, and the Warriors kind of have turned into the Warriors again, uh, it, it certainly seems. And so this is... Um, I think the playoff series that most basketball fans were hoping to see, it is the Lakers versus the Warriors tonight in San Francisco, game one at the Chase Center. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, I am incredibly psyched just as a basketball fan, let alone a podcast host for this one. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. I mean, it doesn't get any better than the Northern versus Southern California rivalries. I mean, the fans here were getting really heated about this King series and there's no history uh, of the Warriors <laughs> and Kings. Now you've got Lakers, Golden State Warriors, and obviously LeBron versus Steph is the thing everyone's going to be talking about. Two of the greatest to play the game and it doesn't get much better than that. You yeah. just mentioned that, uh, that, series that that just concluded uh kings warriors without the the history that i guess would if nothing else accompany lebron v steph uh for cyrus then kylan how do you guys feel about the state of the warriors right now and i asked that just because there had been this conventional wisdom that everybody should be jockeying to get the kings they would be the easiest out of all these teams in the western conference and this this series went seven took the Warriors two opportunities to close out. One of them was a lost opportunity at home. So the the dust is settled. They're in the second round. But how do you feel about them right now? Uh, I mean, my takeaway was that the Kings were a lot better than I even I anticipated. That, that's, they're a damn good team. Um, you know, there is a reason why they're the three seed. I know Kylan has emphasized that as well. Uh, you know, they're, they're a really good team. I, I just, De'Aaron Fox is absolutely the real deal. Um, you know, so I know the Warriors were able to neutralize Sabonis a little bit, um, but the Kings have players, man. That's so that's what I took away from that. And and on one hand, I'm incredibly stoked that the Warriors won. We're reminded yet again of Stephen Curry's greatness. Um, but on the other hand, I, you know, like that series going seven games, uh, you're right. I guess we're going to find out just how good the Kings were and where the Warriors are. If you're asking where the Warriors are right now, which I know is what you are, I'd love to hear Kylan's response to this because I really don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I feel confident that it, it, with this series, but if you're asking me, like, am I as confident as I was a year ago? No. And will this team win a world championship? I have no idea. So that's where I am, Kylan. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I think what we saw in the series against the Kings was a little bit of what we saw from the Warriors all season, which is some inconsistencies. I thought we saw inconsistencies, not necessarily in basketball tactics, but in just the intensity 
intensity, the hustle, the mental focus of this group. I thought that towards the end of the series, game six in particular, some of the Warriors looked tired. So going into this Lakers series, that's one of the biggest questions for me is not a lot of rest for the Warriors to turn around and get going on Tuesday. And I think that Steph sustained a huge workload. Um, He's another year older than he was last year. I don't think the Warriors have quite the same depth as they did last season, uh, particularly in size um, in their second unit. And, And I just think a lot is being asked of Steph Curry and this core that is now another year older and, you know, has another year of wear and tear under their belt. So I thought game six to me, it did look like there were some tired legs. I thought the Warriors were a bit inconsistent throughout the series. They end up being able to pull it out thanks to a spectacular performance from Steph Curry. But can they consistently put together four good performances against the Lakers now having to turn around very quickly and come back out in game one? And we know the Warriors have struggled on the road, so they have to win these home games at Chase Center. So they're going to have to come out and bring some energy. I just don't know where it's going to come from at this point. I honestly do think that the Warriors looked a little bit tired in game six. It's like a series full of like old people. Like when yeah. you, it's like, it's, yeah. this, this is, uh, that's what's going on here. I, I just, you know, the game one thing I think is, is critical for the Lakers. A lot of times in, you know, these series, you look at, you know, the second game or whatever it might be, the Lakers are not going to be any more rested than they are in game one. It only goes downhill from there. Um, so yeah, we, we got a few more questions for you guys and then, you know, we'll, we'll turn around and let you guys pepper us with some stuff in the next segment. But I, I think like one of the things that I think is like, I mentioned the Lakers pre-trade deadline, almost nothing about this team matters. None of the yeah. numbers matter. None of the results matter. None of the game matters. Um, what, is there a place like that with the Warriors where you, whether it's games without X, Y, and Z, or like this, the time that Wiggins missed or when, you know, Steph was hurt. It was like, which parts of the Warriors should Lakers fans be paying attention to when they try to figure out, you know, who exactly it is that they're playing? Because the Warriors haven't been that dominant group that they've been in their previous title runs. I mean, this season just altogether has been kind of an anomaly for the Warriors because of how inconsistent they were. There were flashes of brilliance. There were flashes of just horrific basketball that were played that were super uncharacteristic of this core. And I think that's something we've all been trying to figure out all season. Fans, media members is who is this Warriors team? Um, You know, I think the one thing that you just have to look at is that the Warriors are always going to be contenders when they have Steph Curry on this roster. He, on any given night, can go out and put together a spectacular performance of 50 point performance like we saw in game seven against an extremely talented Sacramento Kings team. Um, So to me, that's the reason why you have to always keep them in the conversation. Draymond Green is an incredible competitor. He's a champion. Clay Thompson, rough game six and seven, but on any given night, he can come out and catch fire from beyond the arc. So to me, it's just, you know, these stars on this Warriors teams have been here before. They know how to show up in these situations. So you mentioned, you know, the Warriors, a lot of people bring up, you know, the the regular season is the preseason for the Warriors. They make those kind of analogies. I mean, for a lot of fans and media members, this regular season in particular was frustrating because of all of the inconsistencies and struggles. But when it comes time to step up, any of these Warriors champions can and will deliver. So I think for me, that's the thing is that as long as Steph Curry's on this roster, in addition to some of the other uh, core members, you can't count them out. Yeah, and I just and just to add to that, this is probably the best version of the Warriors all year. Uh, you know, right the, now, the, for sure. yeah, right now the entire season, like you know, Steph's been hurt, Wiggins missed almost the whole year. Damn I mean, it. I mean, so I know <laughs> I'm really, I just started really hoping too, but, for something uh, worse. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Gary Payton the second, right? I mean, this is the best version we're seeing of him. Um, you know, and you look at the the four matchups these two teams played played against each other. I keep telling people you can't look at that. That is 
an utterly worthless stat. I know your your team won the series three one, but I think Steph missed two of those games. Wiggins, I think, missed uh, two or three of those games. Your team in that first game uh, that you lost was night and day different than what well, it is plus now. Plus two, so- Le- LeBron and D'Angelo Russell missed games even when the Lakers won. So yeah, on one that too. on one hand, you could look at that and say, all right, the shorthanded Lakers can beat, if nothing else, a shorthanded version of the Warriors, or even at times going up against the Warriors who had more of their players, but in trying to figure out what it all means for a series, because you know a series is its own animal in and of itself, and it involves in ways that individual games don't, I honestly have no idea what to make of these matchups, which would have been the same way, by the way, if the Lakers ended up playing the Kings, because all four games that the Lakers played against the Kings this year were all before the deadline. Yeah. So it's like a it's a really interesting blank slate, I think, for yeah. both of these teams in either direction. And the Russell thing, just as an example, is is fascinating because you know he's a he as we all saw in in game in game six uh, over the weekend, like can be a big you know catalyst for uh, the Lakers offensively in particular. Um, but I know that the Warriors are you know sitting there on the on the whiteboard figuring out how are we going to attack D'Angelo Russell and make him play defense. <laughs> and so sometimes the absence of a player, even if it's a good player, changes the dynamics so much. Um, you know, the Lakers have defended really well and they've been and they defended really well with D'Lo on the floor. But, you know, they are going to go hunting for Russell um, in this series. I think there's there's no question. So, you know, all these little matchups, you know, play a role. Yeah, and just and just to add to that, the Kings uh, used De'Aaron Fox because De'Aaron Fox was in a similar position. I know he's much better than D'Angelo, but, uh, you know, the Kings tackled uh, with the issue of, who are we going to have Fox defend, right? Because he's not the greatest defender. I don't think I think he's better than than D'Angelo, but they ultimately put him on on Wiggins for a lot of these games. And game seven, that was huge. Wiggins attacked him and completely wore him down and took advantage of that matchup. That was a that was a a, a, a cog there in game seven that was overlooked because of how just how dominant Steph was and Looney's 21 rebounds. But the Wiggins factor in this is going to be big because ultimately I've noticed a lot of teams. Uh, decide they want to hide their players on Wiggins defensively. I, I don't understand that. Maybe it's because Draymond and Looney are just so big. You can't put a point guard on them. Um, but Wiggins will punish you. He now has a has a post game. Um, he he showed that in the King series, and and I'm curious to see what the Lakers do uh, in this series. Yeah, so are we. <laughs> can I ask you guys one more, and then we'll break, and you guys can throw some stuff at us. You know, the the coaching aspect of this is 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 fascinating to me, and. You know, Lakers fans have been spending a lot of time yeah, a little angsty about Darvin Ham, but they've also spent most of the season under 500, and he's a brand new coach and all these other things. And one of the things I like to say is there's one fan base in the entire NBA who thinks their coach is good, and that's Miami. Everyone else thinks their coach is <laughs> awful in some way. Or, and that includes Warriors fans, like I like on- online Warriors fans at least, and Cyrus and his Twitter feed are constantly this year for the first time crushing Steve, Steve Kerr. So like what what what's going on there? Like how much like how much confidence do Warriors fans have right now in Steve Kerr to you know be the better coach in a series like this? 
Go ahead, oh, Colin, Cyrus. Please. No, you have strong thoughts about this. You got to lead this one off. Unless right, you want well, me to give my thoughts briefly, but I think you need to. I, I find Cyrus this is more passionate. Cyrus, yeah. yeah Cyrus is, has been pretty open uh, about his well, criticism I, of Steve Kerr. I mean, so, so a year, I've, this is the first time I've ever been critical. And it was largely because I think all I'm doing is just highlighting a, a bigger issue, which is a difference in vision between what the front office and Bob Myers envisioned this team doing, which was playing their young players, developing them, getting them ready for the postseason. Uh, and then there was Kerr's vision, which is that he doesn't trust these young players for the most part. And unless it's in select spots, sorry about the dog. Um, and, doesn't, like Kerr, doesn't like Kerr either. He doesn't like, well, he's just annoyed. I love Kerr personally. I love him. I've never once called for his head. But this year, to a case in point, he gave so many minutes to these two-way players. And I became synonymous with criticizing those two. But where are they now? I mean, that was clearly a move that was not very smart. You know, there, I don't know how you could say that was astute. Yes, yes, Mr. President. Yeah, you're correct. Absolutely. That's what I was doing all year. And case in point, we don't see Anthony Lamb, the, the one guy who got promoted at all. The, the Ty Jerome thing, I don't understand what the point of that ever was since it resulted in a 44-38 and 38 record, 11-30 and 30 on the road. So there, I think that there's a fundamental difference that I agreed with Bob Myers. I saw the vision that he made, and I totally agreed with it. And Steve Kerr just went his way and um you know i i don't know if i explained that clearly enough kylan did i and what are your thoughts obviously please yeah you did and to some degree i've agreed with you throughout the season i mean part of the challenge is that steve kerr has had the onus on him to try to pursue a championship while also developing young players and it's been the storyline all season for the warriors can they be competitive while trying to carry out this two timeline vision that bob myers had and that's where some people maybe see or read between the lines there could be some friction between bob myers and steve kerr because steve <laughs> kerr did not play a lot of his young players uh, as much as a lot of fans would have liked and as much as a lot of people envisioned jonathan kaminga ended up working his way into the rotation but he's now out of the rotation uh, you know at least in that first round postseason uh, series he was out of the rotation early this season moses moody got dmp'd a lot down the stretch of the season um and a lot of people questioned i mean in addition to wanting to see more patrick baldwin jr i know that's a rookie that you like Cyrus but in general a lot of people questioned you know how is this going to work um so in Steve Kerr's defense I will say like I've asked Cyrus this before and maybe you guys have some thoughts on this but you know like when have you seen a team win a championship with so many young players and at one point in the season um I like actually put it down on paper in terms of how many players the Warriors have that are 22 and under and and, and it is ridiculous and you look at other teams across the league and I compared it to you know those teams that you expect to be contenders this season you know like the Celtics and like the Bucks or like the Nuggets it's although the Bucks, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, during the regular season, the teams that were competing well, the Warriors have way, 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 way more young players. And, you know, how do you balance that with, you know, these veterans who are about to age out and, you know, are in the twilight of their career, but then these young players who need development, they need time. The Warriors weren't winning early on in the season, which I think created some of that struggle because Steve Kerr feels like he's got to play the players that are going to help him win. Now they came out, didn't come out like they did last season at, you know, 20 and whatever that they came out and were 500, but also these young players need to work through some of these mistakes and they need a little bit longer leash to try to figure it out. Uh, you know, so I think it's an interesting dynamic and I, don't know that I remember, at least in recent NBA history, any championship team with so, so, so many young players who are expected to play key roles. It certainly wasn't the Lakers in the bubble. Um, all right, so we got we had a bunch of questions for you guys. You guys have some for us, and so uh, we'll look at the Lakers' end of things next.
Locked on Lakers brought to you by Game Time. And years ago, some friends of mine and I, we went to go see LL Cool J in LA. Last minute, no idea how to score tickets. We decided to try to get them from a scalper. Terrible idea because they ended up fake. We managed to get into the show, but I vowed never to go through anything like that again. And you don't have to because there's Game Time. And it keeps getting tickets to your favorite events from being stressful. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy shows, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun. They offer images of seat views. That's really important. They offer the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and the game time guarantee means you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, tickets go directly to your phone and you're set. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, take put put us under the microscope. Um, you know what, what do you got? You know because you know little plucky underdog Lakers, mom and pop shop up against the you know the the, the tech corporate <laughs> yeah. titans up north with your giant payrolls and whatever. We're just little 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 engines that could down here, but you know we'll see if we can we can answer your questions. <laughs> That is propaganda. I would just like to say that is some hardcore propaganda. <laughs> we support small businesses. That's all we are. <laughs> the number two market in the country is crying, crying tears of <laughs> sympathy. Uh, Kylan, go ahead. I, I, I honestly have nothing right now. Do you have any questions? Uh, uh, yeah, my question for you guys is just, you know, going into this King series, specifically looking at the matchup inside, um, you know, a lot of people underestimated Kavon Looney and his ability to neutralize DeMontis Sabonis. So immediately the questions that I start seeing are, well, can Kavon Looney now compete with an AD? Um, how healthy is AD? Uh, where do you guys see that matchup going? And what do you think are going to be the keys specifically uh, between those two players? I mean, I think it's a huge matchup, and I think it's one that a lot of casuals may not be thinking is so crucial just because Kevon Looney's had a terrific season, and I think he is you know, among the better role players in the league in terms of just this is your role, excel at it, and he's broadened his skills, he's become a better passer, but he ain't Anthony Davis you know, in terms of just overall skill – the ability to put a team on his back, that's not him. But there are a few things Looney does that, that really important, namely that work on the offensive glass. You don't want to give the Warriors extra possessions. So I, I think AD is going to be spending a lot of time defensively on Looney, A, so he can remain the back line of that defense because the further you take AD from the basket, the more vulnerable the defense becomes but also trying to keep Kevon Looney from getting Golden State those extra tries at the basket, that's a full-time job in and of itself when you're on defense. So I think that's going to be a really big deal. Yeah, I, I am frightened of this matchup. And Anthony Slater at The Athletic did a really good breakdown of the games that they did play. And the, you know, the numbers for Davis in these games, even the Lakers won, even where he put up points, he was not efficient. And that is Looney. And a lot of, you know, and... I think there is an advantage to 
having a guy who is not expected to be any kind of offensive for, and he can just do the, you know, when it's his turn, bodying up Davis down low, whatever it might be. And I'm sure Draymond will get some possessions there too. Sure. But, you know, and then on the offensive side, like Andy said, that line for Davis when he's defending, when Looney's, you know, on, on offense between, okay, I, I don't have to really pay attention to him, but I can't leave. And so, you know, towing that line is going to be something that, you know, he's capable of doing because Anthony Davis just his defense against Memphis of people that was otherworldly the entire series. He was yeah. unbelievable. And he can do that again uh, against the Warriors, different kind of assignment. But offensively, I think, like like Andy said, I think the Looney assignment is is a, a much more difficult one than than is going to be given credit for. And I, if if he can't figure out a way to be reasonably efficient in that, the Lakers already struggle to score in the half court, and you know, Golden State, I always feel can, has a, another gear it can crank up defensively. In a, in a series like this. And so, you know, I actually feel like LeBron, you know, finding a way for LeBron to get loose, whether that's against Draymond, whether it's against Wiggins or whatever it might be, is going to be important. And then, you know, we mentioned D'Lo before. Guys like that are going to be huge. And and speaking of defense, what I was curious to ask you guys, um, I'm of the, my theory is, I mean, this, this is a hard thing to prove, but, you know, you, you keep mentioning Looney defending Anthony Davis, but I'm of the belief that Anthony Davis's kryptonite is Draymond Green. Uh, mm -hmm. They have a very long history. You talk about those struggles, and a lot of that was Draymond as well. Well, their 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 matchups aren't game long, right? Like they save Draymond uh, in that matchup largely for energy purposes because Draymond probably got wiped out trying to handle him the whole game. But um, so my question to you is: Do you agree with that sentiment? And what are your thoughts? Um, and two, how and who and what is the plan to defend Stephen Curry for the Los Angeles Lakers? Um. Well, as far as the the Draymond being kryptonite piece of the question, I don't know specifically about that, but what I think is going to be really interesting is how much leeway he gets in the series from the refs. Like, how much do you allow Draymond to get away with in terms of physicality? I think that's going to be interesting just to see how much Draymond can get away with in terms of physicality. Who defends Steph? I've been going back and forth on this, thinking about it. I've, you know, I've listened to people like the Lakers Film Room podcast. Um, you know, they're very good at anticipating this sort of stuff. I was listening earlier to Zach Lowe and the Low Post podcast with uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Nobody seems to be in complete consensus about this. Hmm. I could see Jared Vanderbilt being put on him to try to bother him with length. You know, having. Having so little offensive responsibilities, it's just like, look, just stay on this guy, navigate every screen, work. Um, I could also see them wanting to put Austin Reeves on him. The problem with Reeves is he has so much offensive responsibility as it is. Chasing Steph around all those screens, I think, would be absolutely exhausting for a series. I could also see, too, Darvin Ham messing with some of his rotation to get Dennis Schroeder in earlier than normal. Because Schroeder is extremely good at both point of attack defense and navigating through screens. Um, I think Troy Brown Jr., who got a DNP CD um, in game seven and did not play particularly well during the Memphis series, I do think he's going to get some run because he's an active defender and also good at navigating screens. But I can't decide how I think they're going to start between Vanderbilt well, and I, Reeves. 
I think it's going to be a, I think it's a, a bunch. Like you might see Vanderbilt at the beginning on him, and partially because Vanderbilt has the least amount of offensive responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But I also think you can't ask Jared Vanderbilt to chase Steph around all those screens all day. Like you know, one on one in space, sure. Um, but Reeves, the reason I think I, I think you'll see a lot of Reeves and a lot of Schroeder is because those are the two best guys at, at at working over screens, have the agility to do it. And you know, Schroeder has the endurance, <laughs> I think, as well, too. He's a hard guy to wear down. But, I, you know, there's been a lot of calls, I think, for Darwin to shorten the rotation, particularly among the uh, in the backcourt. And it's going to be a little harder to do in this series because the amount of movement that you get from Steph, from Clay, and all it's like you – it's a Pool. lot. To, yeah, from Poole. It's a lot to ask guys to just chase – with eight dudes on the floor, seven, eight, nine. We are like you, you kind of need that ninth guy. Um, so I think you will see a little bit more of that. You know, Darwin trying to steal minutes. I, I you know, I, I, you'll, I, like I said, I think you'll definitely see Draymond guarding AD, particularly yeah. in, in critical moments. I think that'll happen a lot. Um, but I, one of the things that I think is just fascinating about the series in general is like the Lakers, you have Jared Vanderbilt, who's going to be ignored offensively. I am fairly sure. You know, Steve Kerr, if I could think of this, I'm sure Steve Kerr can too. They're going to make the Lakers take and make threes because they've been so bad at it and they were terrible in the Memphis series. So, you know, these – and meanwhile, Golden State, it's like Draymond and Kevon Looney are going to be completely ignored. Like, I mean, you've seen how teams play these guys. <laughs> it's like, you know, it was like watching the way that, that Golden State played Sabonis in that series where – you know, so Looney's basically standing under the basket with with Sabonis at the top of the key. Westbrook been, treatment, yeah. Go ahead and shoot treatment. jumpers, which I'm surprised Crazy. worked as well as it did because Sabonis is a pretty good player and a yeah. decent shooter. But the matchups like that, where you have these sort of offensive holes on each team, that you know, I and and how you arrange the players and arrange the matchups against these other players who are so good and have so much gravity, it, it's. It's one of the things that I think is really interesting about this. And it's interesting, too, uh, Cyrus, you had mentioned how uh, against the Kings, they often seem to be putting a weaker defender on Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. And Wiggins began attacking it. And you'd mentioned D'Angelo's defensive weaknesses. I actually think he's going to start the series on Wiggins, even though I I think that is, in the aggregate, advantage Wiggins. I also think for D'Angelo, it's the best assignment because – as good as Wiggins is, there's less to keep track of. He's more of just a straight-ahead assignment as opposed to having he to can't, keep... He can't run around like... Well, no, yeah. I mean, but just having... I, you don't want D'Angelo... And look, to be fair to D'Angelo, he has been better defensively than I think his both reputation and actuality. With the Lakers, he's been working hard. He has been attentive. He hasn't really hurt them defensively at all. But you don't want him in an assignment where you have to keep track of a lot of stuff. Like off um, ball movement, that yeah. sort of thing. All right. We got one more time for one more segment left. Unfortunately, Kylan can't stay around for it. Um, she's ducking out before we can make our big pr- series predictions. Unless you um, want to go now, Kylan. Perfect. Perfect time. Uh, I don't want to make a series prediction. I hate predictions. But can I ask you guys one more question that I have? I had one. My question is, uh, you guys were just talking a lot about Austin Reeves. We saw him with a big game four performance in the Memphis series, 23 points. And I know I have someone in mind on the Warriors side, but like who is a role player on the Lakers that you feel like could actually, you know, hold the key to this series 
because mm. there's going to be a ton of talk about LeBron. There's going to be a talk, ton of talk about AD. You're talking about, you know, how the Warriors attack and take advantage of D'Angelo Russell. All those things I feel like are, you know, kind of out there in the open. But who's a player that you feel like could sneakily be a, a difference maker? I mean, I think it's, I mean, obviously it depends a little bit on like, do you consider Russell? Do you consider Reeves role guys or sort of a step above that? I, if the, the Lakers need one more guy, like there's, you know, like they need that sort of and player. Um, and particularly coming from the bench when the bench was not terribly resourceful aside from uh, Rui Hachimura. And oh, Andy had the picture ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, I, he's my answer. Right. <laughs> so I, feel I, like, I was thinking about it. I, and I feel like particularly in the bench, like that's that's a player that given how he played in the first round, I think could cause a little bit of trouble for the for the second units with with the Warriors. Um, I feel like you know his size, but the mobility, the offensive game, the mid range. I would look for that, and they need points from somewhere. Like Dennis yeah. Schroeder's gonna have to have a better offensive series than he did against Memphis. Rui's a tough cover. Rui, can, especially the way he's been used with the Lakers, and you know, seemingly developed, you know, credit to Phil Handy, who has been in his ear a lot. And there's been a lot of talk about the dividends it's already paid. LeBron has been in Rui's ear a lot. And to Rui's credit, he has apparently been just asking LeBron questions constantly. And he, LeBron has raved about the idea that Rui, that ability to create his own shot at that size with that type of athleticism, he's hard to cover, period. But I also think when you start thinking about the Warriors and the players on their on their bench, I'm not sure who the obvious matchup defending him is. Mm-hmm. And he played extremely well in the Memphis series. So Rui to me feels like the obvious guy. Yeah, I don't know how the how the Warriors survive this series if if Jonathan Kaminga is DNP'd again. No, I, but I, I think the answer might be Kaminga, but because that's know. what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's yeah, immediately what I'm thinking. I'm still bitter to no end that you you folks got Rory for what three second round three picks. Second I mean, that's that's and Kendrick Nunn and Kendrick Nunn. Oh, no erasure there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry to forget Kendrick, um, who did so much for you guys. Uh, yeah, so I. Are, are, we doing predi- <laughs> are we doing predictions or no? What are we doing right now? What's next? Well, let's take a break so we can we All can right. we can let uh, let Kylan go and uh, but then we'll be back to to wrap it up. Bye, Kylan. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you later. We'll catch you in the flip side of this series where we can talk nice. some smack after we know who won. <laughs> well, we'll go easy on you, Kylan. <laughs> Boom! Look at that. Awesome. Nice fighting words. All right, we'll be back for the, uh, for the final segment next. Locked on Lakers also brought to you by Prize Picks, home of the $1 million daily super flex. Um, that's going on through the NBA playoffs and into the finals every day of the playoffs. One prize pick user will win a chance to become a millionaire. How do you do that? You place an entry after 8 a.m. Eastern time, so five on the West Coast, early birds. Uh, you're randomly selected each day. Whoever places the entry will be given a six pick flex with the following paths. You get six correct picks. That's a million bucks. Five, it's still worth 80. Four, 16 grand. Still a lot of money. Uh, the details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at the link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal, and you could be the lucky winner. And how does all this work? You pick two to six players, and if they go on to, to score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. So you go to download prize picks app or you go to prizepicks.com to sign up to play daily fantasy sports. The first-time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. 
and if you deposit $100, prize picks would give you $100. And if you deposit 50, prize picks would give you 50. I'm going to let you guys figure out the rest. But don't forget to enter the promo code LOCKED ON to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, back for one more. Uh, thanks again for to Kylan for joining. Um, I I have you know we, we obviously you know the the thing you always do at the end of a series you know a podcast like this is like you know you make your predictions who's going to win and this that. I I honestly I can I can easily construct scenarios in which you know the the Warriors win in which the Lakers win, in which the Lakers kind of run the Warriors off the floor and where the Ooh. Warriors run the Lakers off the floor. Like I can, I have a vision for all of these things and trying to figure out what is actually going to happen in this series is for me, at least it's, it's been hard over the last, you know, few days while I've been trying to figure out like, you know, Warriors or Kings or whatever. I would have, I think the Lakers would have had an easier time beating the Kings. Like that would have been a better series for the Lakers. This one scares me a lot more. Why? Because I think you know Steph went for fifty. Um, I think the interior defense for the Warriors with Looney and Green in that specific matchup with with AD, I would have much rather seen AD have seven games against Sabonis. Well, he's a great player. Sabonis is a great player, but he's not. He is not the interior player that. That um that that Looney is defensively, and you know you also have the added benefit of if you can get Sabonis into foul trouble, which is not that hard. Um, that eats into what Sacramento can do offensively. So I just I feel like there were sort of institutional advantages there that went along with the Sabonis matchup that you don't get with Golden State, despite the fact that Looney isn't a tenth of the offensive force that Sabonis is right. as a passer or a scorer. So that's that's part of it, and then you know Steph Clay is harsh. harsh. Looney's actually surprisingly okay. good. He's as not as a test, but you understand what I'm getting. Yeah, I do understand, but yeah, that's he's you actually don't surprisingly run your good through Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney is not going to pile up. But know. they've been doing. That's one thing they did in Sacramento. That was actually but, an adjustment. You understand? Really, he's not going to. You know, Sabonis can is, during the season. Intimately familiar with this, he was my oh my fantasy team it was great. Um, you know, twenty six, fourteen, and he gives eleven. You he you does know, like the, the, the crazy numbers there. Um, you know, I wouldn't run my offense through Kevon Looney either if I had Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, Poole, who I know is controversial, but you get the point. So that's why I'm concerned about it, Andy. I mean, the Warriors are a really. I think when they are at their best, when they're at their most disciplined. They're a very smart team that is never going to, I think, lose confidence in themselves. I do think, and this is funny, and Cyrus, I'm curious to get your take on this, because you know the Warriors are the most been-there-done-that team in the league right now. But I do think that they were kind of rattled in Game 7. And the reason I say that is because Clay shot very poorly, Wiggins shot very poorly, Poole shot very poorly, and... They missed 11 free throws. And, you know, on one hand, Steph went nuclear, had 50. And Steph is the ultimate, you know, in case of emergency, or maybe even it's not an emergency, just break the damn glass anyway, weapon that you can have. Like, there's nobody in the league that bends defenses more right. than Steph Curry. And, and it's not even close. But I also think that game seven – you know, you needed Steph to be otherworldly and uh -huh. in his own right, Kevon Looney to be otherworldly 
for them to get through it. But I also think that there was a unique pressure to playing Sacramento because like we talked about at the top of the show, they were the team that everybody supposedly wanted. And the mm -hmm. conventional wisdom was you should be like trying to jockey your way to get them. If you lose to them, especially as defending champions in the first round, oh, I feel like there's, yeah. I feel like that. And also too, it's just like, that's more humiliating than losing to say Phoenix in the first round or losing to Denver in the first round or even Memphis in the first round. Like this was the team that was supposedly was the Patsies. Yeah. And I think entering that kind of, yeah. yeah, entering the playoffs. And, and I think that created some type of unique pressure, but either way, it looked to me like Golden State was tight in that game seven. Yeah, I mean, that, that perspective changed the moment the series started because Sacramento is very legitimate. I, I, I like I, I've told every Kings fan who's watched or listened, you leave that series with their head high because that Mike Brown is the envy of the league for having that team going into next year. I mean, they, they have nowhere, no direction to go but up, and they already were the three C this year. And um, so they're a damn good team. Um, the get I mean, the Warriors have been in a lot of game sevens, man, and, and they've won all of them. Um, except for 2016, which is I, I hate which involved but, uh, LeBron, yeah, with your boy LeBron, yeah. But uh, you, you know, so my feeling on this series, uh, tying into what you're you're talking about, is the Warriors like, and this is where my gripes with Kerr come in is the Warriors have, in my opinion, the personnel to go deep and go far. They have bigs, they have uh, wings. Uh, that Kerr just is really hesitant to use. And uh, the why of that, I mean, it's all about right, like who, uh, who a coach trusts, right? Um, and I don't think he has much trust in Kaminga, despite his athleticism, his 6'8 frame, despite the fact that his efficiency numbers are through the roof this year. He was a terrific basketball player, and he got rewarded for that with DNPs uh, in this first-round series. Uh, Jermichael Green, who is like one of their main free agent pickups, uh, he stands 6'9", and... Um, you know, he played one game in that series against the Kings game three it was the only game that the Warriors blew out, save for game seven, but you needed 50 points from Steph to pull that off. Right. I mean, if Steph scores his normal 30, that's essentially an even game. Um, so, so, you know, the Steph's 50 was all the difference in that game seven. Uh, the Jordan pool thing is one example of where Steve Kerr's coaching is going to be tested because Jordan pool did not have a good series against the Kings and every fan, I was one of the last ones. Uh, I finally jumped on the train as well. Like fans have grown impatient with Jordan Poole. They're booing him at Chase Center sometimes. He heard those boos in game six. And Steve Kerr needs, to, in my opinion, to have a short leash. I mean, if Jordan Poole is having a bad game, uh, you know, especially against a bigger team like the Lakers, he's a negative. I mean, just plain and simple. He is not helping your team. He's hurting your team. And I really hope Kerr goes to these bigs that he has on his bench. Moses Moody's another one. We finally started seeing him. Uh, he was actually a positive in Game 7, by the way. I think he played like 16 minutes and, and uh, produced uh, uh, great results. The Clay Thompson piece of this is interesting. He's expressed a lot of excitement to play against the Lakers, given his dad's history there. Uh, Michael Thompson, he's on the radio there too, I think, right in L.A. And yeah, we work with him. Oh, well, there you go. So, uh, yeah, so, but, so Clay is super ecstatic uh, about this series, but Clay's best years are behind him. I mean, I, I, that's what I saw in the first round. Like, Clay, for example, has come out recently and said he wants a max extension. Good luck with that, pal. Like, I mean, you better be happy with 20, 25 million. I mean, that's the best you're going to get because the, the Clay that 
dominated game sixes, that's no more. Um, he's still a very serviceable player. He's a great player, but he's not the player that is the clear number two on this team anymore. He doesn't dominate like he used to and take over. Um, so the Warriors are going to need like like Andrew Wiggins, obviously, Kavon Looney, Draymond, but they're going to need to go to their bigger, more uh, athletic players. Like, I don't know if Dante DiVincenzo, how, how much run he's going to get. He had a so-so series at best against the Kings. If that continues, I think you need to have a short leash with him as well, but Steve Kerr's trust is starting to run out of players, Cyrus. The same thing, the same thing happens with the Lakers, you know, because but it's, who not, didn't play it's, not, Lakers? it's not exactly the same thing, but you know, we, we spent a lot of time for, for, for Monday's show on that idea of like, what does playoff LeBron mean now? Like, because uh, Tom Ziller was a great substack, and it's totally worth subscribing to. Had made the point. It's like LeBron, you know, was like seventy percent of playoff LeBron against the 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 Grizzlies, or maybe he was seventy percent of what that used to mean, but ninety percent of what playoff LeBron is now, which is still pretty good, but not damn good. Yeah, that good. He's not that guy. Like you know, where where just transcendent playoff performances that that he had. So I think. We'll learn more about the answer to that question, and then you know is. But who on the who on the Lakers bench like do you debate about that? Who isn't getting well? I mean, that- Beasley, my, uh, Malik Beasley was became a real talking point because the Lakers are trying real hard. Darvin Ham's trying real hard to get him going because right. the ability to have volume three point shooting that is meaningful for a team that has very inconsistent and i think would be a good word for it well, he's, he's play. Good, man. And good he can't player. but he can't be he's been, he's been really bad with the lakers he's been oh, really bad raindrops um but you know they're trying to make it work and so i think that's been a thing and like how the lakers the lakers anytime anthony davis went off the floor in that series were terrible and so you know i guess it's somebody my point this is of- totally different i i expect a totally different dynamic in this series in terms of who's good who isn't who's playable who's not because, you know, to say the least, the Warriors are a very different team than the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, night and day, yeah. I mean, I guess to summarize my point why I'm listing all these players, one is in all of the Warriors championships, strength in numbers was not just some slogan, some marketing slogan. It's a legitimate adage, man. The Warriors routinely go 11-12 deep in all the runs, including in the Celtics series last year. And Kerr has abandoned that. That's what I'm trying to say. He's now going 8-9 like most coaches do the Warriors have never been successful following that model like you need to use your depth and that's become a huge point of concern and and he went with small ball in the King series barely got by with it if he goes with small ball again against your team you're, you're winning Lakers are winning plain and simple like small ball is not going to work against six eight six nine six ten uh guys that's your average lineup sometimes it's crazy so like Lonnie Walker's damn good like and he's he's not a short dude um, your team is long. Well, he and he's not even playing. He's not even playing. <laughs> he is he hurt, play. or is he just he just fell that far no, down the rotation? Wow, that's Can't crazy. Defend. Okay, but it's a defense that's, problem. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, but you never know. I mean, right? Coaches sometimes find certain matchups, and because I feel like Lonnie Walker has always played well against the the Warriors. That's actually very. Well, like I said, like I think you're going to need a ninth guy in this series. I don't think you can. I don't think you can chase Steph and chase Clay and 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 run around with these guys for for what could be six or seven games. Um, you know, smart, physical, you know, underrated physical team. Like the Warriors don't, they're not, you know, they, they, they know how to defend and they're, and they, and they do it well. Um, so True. It, it, epic, an epic length 
um preview podcast for what <laughs> should be an epic length. I, I gotta i gotta i gotta throw this in before we go because I, i've been a warriors fan since the mid 80s and like there has been on more than one occasion a western conference semifinal series going back to the 80s where your team didn't did a number on the golden state warriors a team who was net was always a pretender in those days although sleepy floyd's record still holds for most points in a quarter and a half in the playoffs against michael cooper and i had a chance to interview michael cooper about that and his phrase his face went from a smile to a frown like that because he's still <laughs> bitter about that game in that moment um but yeah so I, I would love to see revenge on all the old folks like myself who still remember those 80 series and lebron james 30 and 21 in game one so uh yeah i'm i, I hope the warriors better win game one and hold home court that's my thought and i'm predicting warriors in five or six how about you folks okay warriors in five or six andy lakers in seven I feel I feel like people have, I'm still getting flack for this on the uh, Locked On Lakers YouTube channel board. There, uh, <laughs> I had the Grizzlies in six. The, the last round, I, I did not like anything about that matchup, and I was wrong. And I'm very happy to be wrong. I'm still happy to be doing this. Nobody likes the off-season podcasts. <laughs> we all know what this is. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. No, nobody that. wants to go into that. Nope. Um, but um, I feel much better about this series. But I don't want to get blamed for being like, oh, you picked the, against the Lakers the first one. Now you're picking the Lakers in the second one. So I'm going to say, because I, so I don't want to switch it up. <laughs> I'll say Warriors in seven. So you're like reverse jinxing. You're, no, I see what you're doing. You, but I, I feel <laughs> much more confident. A reverse jinx doesn't work if you call your shot, dummy. Like, that's not how this stuff works. Oh, the Lakers in seven. Then. <laughs> then at me, if, if we lose... Is it my fault? I love I it. Know. Miss the president. Love it. <sighs> All right. Well, I should have just lagged the dog on that one. Like nobody this can is, know. My this is going to be. I'm, I mean, I'm. I'm ecstatic about this series, though, man. Every game is just going to be a show. No, no question about a that. A lot of fun. All right, we got to go before David Locke yells at us for length. Exactly. Locked on Lakers and Locked on Warriors uh, available on YouTube. We might end up doing another show like this. Um, depending on how the series goes, Cyrus, thank you very much for the time. And we will see everybody on Wednesday.